1: Well, welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today, Pat Ochoa. Pat, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing wonderful. I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, before we find out what you're actually doing today, if you would, tell me, what do you want to be when you
0: grew up? That's a great question. What did I want to be when I grew up? Um, I grew up wanting to be a counselor. Um, I went to the YMCA when I was a kid. Um, I was a camper. And I had some, you know, I had some mentors in my life that were counselors of mine. That were, um, Some of the directors at camp were mentors of mine. Growing up without a father, um, the, the mentors in my life meant everything to me. Um, being in the YMCA, we learned. Um, it, was, it was a Christian-based organization at that time, at least a lot. So they just taught a lot of those principles and values. It was kind of a lot about, you know, self-growth, love, and, and being a service to others. So um, being in that environment and not having growing up without a dad and a single parent, no brothers and sisters, it was a pretty lonely life. Right. So I really always thrived when I was at camp. I was really always excited. So um, looking up to those guys, I wanted to do and be who they were and what they gave.
1: That's really awesome. Now, what age was this that you first started going to a YMCA camp?
0: I first started going to wine. I mean, ever since I first remember, um, I'm probably like seven years old. My mom put me in summer camp, you know, during the summertime when I wasn't in school so that she can go to work and I'd be in summer camp. And then uh, once a week, we would go to, you know, week-long camps in the mountains. And then wintertime, they had a winter camp as well. Um, so wow. we'd go up there for a week.
1: What was was there one particular moment or some event or something where one of the counselors really made an impression on you, or was it just over the years kind of impression?
0: It was, I mean, I think I'm a great question. I, I Over the years, it was just such a, I mean, they always had an impression on me. I always looked forward to going. You know, I lived a really alone life um, throughout the year during the school year. Um, being an only child and, and not having a dad and, and just kind of uh, didn't really connect with friends a lot, didn't have a lot of friends, and so I always looked forward to going to camp. Um, and then they brought me in as if I was, it was like a family for me. But I would say a, a, pr- a shift occurred when I went from being a camper to a counselor and training. It was a leadership program for 12-, 13-, 14-year-olds. And I had a mentor of mine who, since I was a little kid, who, who took me under his wing and just really encouraged me and said, this is something that, that you that you could do. He talked to me. He didn't say, you would be a great leader. He talked to me as if I already was a leader. He believed, and it was just his, his love and compassion and his passion for what he was doing. It was like he just talked me into already being what I was, what he believed I was. You know, my whole life it was kind of like I'd get, you know, I'd get, in trouble, you know, the way I would deal with and cope with my feelings in school was that I would, um, I would be sarcastic. I would make fun of other kids and then I'd get sent to the principal's office and, you know, and I was seeking attention of some sort, whether it was negative or positive. And I would sit down with my, with the principal and they'd always, you know, they'd always say, you have such potential, like, you know, if you could just apply yourself to school and you'd apply yourself to doing your homework, like you, you could get good grades, right? You, you you, have this potential. And I always heard it, that message as like, you know, I wasn't worth anything. I was a loser. I wasn't good enough. And so the way this guy, this mentor of mine, this counselor talked to me, it was you are a leader. And he trusted me with tasks as a leader in which I stepped into the power and then and started to become the person truly that I believe that God intended for me to be.
1: Yeah, that's really amazing. And I know it is super impactful. I remember the first time someone who was not a family member that believed in me, I was in eighth grade, and it just was so impactful at the time that they put that kind of trust and responsibility on you because they saw more in you than you saw in yourself, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it was like.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Well, you wanted to be a counselor when you were little. So tell me, what do you do today?
0: Uh, what do I do? All sorts of things actually today. <laughs> um, just to kind of preface, you know, I took my first drink of alcohol at nine, smoked weed at 11. By the time I was 17, I was already recreationally um, using many different hallucinogens and drugs. Um, at 17, my mom basically gave me the ultimatum. You can either stay here and be sober at our house or you know, you can go out and hang out with friends to get loaded. And I chose at that point in my life that I'd rather hang out with my friends and live on the streets and use drugs and alcohol. And fast forward 10 years, I ended up on Skid Row, downtown L.A. Um, Hadn't showered in six months. I was um, intravenously using many different drugs, drinking alcohol. I was 98 pounds. At that point, I got sober 17 years ago. Um, And I got sober and I started to... I started to help people get sober, and I was helping a lot of young guys between the ages of 16 to about 25 getting sober, and a guy came up to me and he said, hey, I'd really like you to come hang out with my with some kids that I work with at an outpatient, pro, drug and alcohol outpatient program, and I said, yeah, I'd love to do that, and so I went to hang out with 10 of his kids and, you know, take them to the beach, and we just went and started having fun in the community and, and finding hobbies and things that the kids like to do, And what happened for me at that point was I said, this is something that that I've always liked doing. You know, because of my addiction, you know, I was an assistant director for for a daycare program for the YMCA, was fired from that job. And I thought that I would never be a counselor again. I kind of just resigned. I had so much shame and guilt that I was a drug addict and, you know, working with kids and, and losing that career that I just kind of signed off. And and I went to go help this guy with his kids. And what happened for me at that point was I realized that that the leader in me, that the mentors believed in me, that that another guy was believing in me, and and so I started hanging out with his kids and um, went back to school, um, became a drug and alcohol counselor, worked at a residential program for adolescent boys, um, worked with them for la- for five years, really recreated their. Recovery component at their program, and fast forward into a transitional living program I started in Orange County for adolescents, um, giving them a, a longer term treatment. Um, and currently, I do interventions for families. I coach and case manage families into finding placement for their adolescents and/or young adults into treatment. I coach kids coming out of treatment how to you know kind of how to live life out of treatment, add drug and alcohol addiction back into the families and teaching them how to be successful without drugs and alcohol in their life i um i work i also work and and that that that, my business is called Eleven Eleven coaching which is what i do all that stuff for i also do uh, work with a program out of portland oregon called sober living oregon um i do i do business development for them uh, we have a gender separate structured sober livings in Portland, Oregon, and we also have a co-ed IOP outpatient program. So we provide drug and alcohol services for those coming out of treatment, residential and or detoxes and come to us. really really, really believe in helping families recover and come together is kind of is our goal. A lot of love and compassion, I really believe that that, that for addiction, huge part of addiction is just a lot of isolation and loneliness, um, loss of connection, loss of any sort of connection, spiritually, physically, you know, or with others. And, and so I I believe in, in just a lot of love and compassion. A lot of what addicts really want is just someone to listen to them and hear them, so to be present and understanding. Um, it's kind of how I operate. Yeah,
1: you just... Un- unrolled a whole lot of stuff right there as far as your career journey because it's really fascinating. I mean, a couple things I like to touch on. You know that moment that you got fired from the YMCA, that had to be just heartbreaking, right? Because that was where you kind of found yourself, yeah. wasn't it?
0: So what had it's I love love that you touch on that. I um it's been a little it's been a journey because at that point, you know, I mean, if if I'm just going to be candid and honest, I was a I was a full-blown heroin addict working with elementary school kids and um mm. I was I was functioning, um, nothing, nothing, you know, it was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And and ultimately what I got fired for was for lack of of being able to show up. And, um, you know, I'd call in sick and I wouldn't be able to. And so when I got fired, it was, there was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and remorse, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of, you know, I'd given up the thing that I absolutely loved in my life um, due to drug addiction. And, you know, you fast forward, really up until, you know, my mom died in January and I've been, I've been acting in my career for the last, um, well, 16 years at that point. I was in Northern California where that, where that job was, where I got fired. And I was with my son. I went to go visit an adolescent program and I was with my son. We were about to have breakfast and I I was walking and I went to go step over this puddle and I, and I Almost stepped on an eagle feather, and I was like, "I wonder." You know, I'm, I'm always kind of a sign guy. I'm like, "I wonder what this means," and so I looked it up. I looked it up on on Google, and it said that a feather was a was a sign from like the other side, like people that have passed. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I went. Me and my son went to the Golden Gate Bridge up top on the north side of the Golden Gate Bridge and he wanted to take pictures and it was raining. And I looked across the city and it was just the top of the Golden Gate Bridge, just the towers. It was all foggy. You couldn't see anything else. And I remembered in that moment that I had gotten fired and I remembered in that moment the shame and the guilt and the remorse that had buried it so deep, the emotions. And I got present with the emotions of the shame and guilt. In that moment, like I realized the negative self-talks that I was never going to be successful, that I was never going to be good enough because of that really came back to play um, six, You know, all these years later, 20 years or whatever it was later and started to have like a healing experience that, that that's no longer who I was then and the person that I had become today was the person that God created for me to be. To go all the way back to that guy who believed in me in that moment, I really started to believe in myself. And um, just super, it's just interesting you bring that point up.
1: Yeah, and talk about, I know it was like a little four words you said, but, you know, you started your road to recovery after going down to 98 pounds. Now, that's that's more than four words, obviously. (laughs) So what moment did you start your road to recovery, and was there a catalyst for that, and where did you feel like you could do it?
0: Oh, my gosh. The catalyst was um, I came to one morning, October 23rd, 2002, really is the day I came to. And I, you know, I had come to in the same, doing the same things. And, and the things that I was doing to get drugs, I mean, it, it just caused a lot of shame and guilt, remorse. Like I had so much self-hatred for the things that, that, that drugs were driving me to do in order to continue to, my addiction. But I came to right. and like, I just had a moment where I couldn't imagine my life without drugs and alcohol and I couldn't imagine my life over and -hmm. something internally in that moment I just started to say a prayer and 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 I've I I struggled with the idea of what what God was or what God isn't for my whole life but I just reached I just said I need help I just said I just said please help me and in that moment like when I said please help every morning before like my first thought would be to do drugs and alcohol but in that morning when I said please help like I reached out to my mom and I said I need help Right. and my life shifted in that moment.
1: Wow, that's just really amazing. So, it sounds like you're able to go on this road to recovery and then that transitioned into a career. Absolutely. Correct? Wow, that's really really amazing. So, typically I ask what is your typical work week like? Yours must be a little insane, yeah. I would think, with as much stuff you're involved yeah. with.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so it just it all depends. I mean, I mean it could go anywhere. You know, I mean, primarily I'm, you know, I go to programs and I find out what services they offer. Um, so that we at Sober Living Oregon can have more resources to help our community. So, you know, going to look at programs, finding out what resources they have, what they have to offer, and then see how we can build a relationship to work together. And so I do a lot of that. You know, an intervention, I just go back five days. I went to Houston to do an intervention on a family, met with with the drug addict. I said, okay, we're going to treatment at 6 o'clock she you know we talked for two and a half hours right when we need to get on the plane she's like I'm not going I left the next day I went and pulled her out of a crack motel to try to get her to go to treatment again she wasn't willing to go she could she would go on the 18th so the next you know five days it was just crisis with mom on the phone pretty much pretty much 20 hours of the day was mom just in constant crisis because not knowing if her daughter was going to live or die, um, I was in I was right. in Seattle the 18th. She got on a plane and came and met me, and then we get her into treatment. So it's you know it's a 24-hour job. We, you never know when crisis is going to hit, when someone asks for help, uh, what that's going to look like. You know, not one intervention is ever the same. It's always different. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Con- constantly have to be on my on my toes. Constantly have to be you know, have an open heart, not have a closed mind in in this field when, you know, there's a lot of overdoses, a lot of suicides, a lot of deaths, it can be very taxing emotionally and mentally, you know, it takes, you know, you have to do a lot of self-care in order to, you know, be successful in this field, you have to make sure to take care of yourself, you know, I have hobbies that I like to do, you know, there's got to make sure to take care of myself, make sure I'm there for my family, Um, but it hour 24-hour-a-day work. Right,
1: yeah, for sure. And what does the 11-11 signify?
0: Uh, Eleven Eleven coaching. You know, you can look it up. Eleven Eleven online. There's lots of spiritual connection. I had a friend. I had okay. a friend. I'll tell you my what it means for me personally and how that came about was I had a friend. I had a girlfriend and her little sister. They they would run away and hang, Her little sisters would run away to San Francisco and live with us. And uh, she used to always say Eleven Eleven make a wish. And I just thought that was the dumbest thing. She'd see it on the clock and say Eleven Eleven make a wish, Pat. <laughs> and I would just kind of play her off. I'm like. Oh, come on, let let me make a wish. Fast forward, I had uh, five years sober, and that ex-girlfriend had called me and said that she found her younger sister, Rita. She committed suicide and was hanging from the rafters. And if I would come over and help the family, and I, I said, yeah, I'd love to come over. And I went over to her house to help the family. And I was in the backyard, you know, and I was saying a prayer and just kind of, I didn't know what to do. Like I was, I didn't feel capable of being strong emotionally and mentally for the family. And I opened my eyes and there was a hummingbird about, I don't know, 18 inches away from my face. And, um, and that yeah. next morning I woke up and I saw 11:11 11, 11 on the clock and, um,
1: I've wow. literally seen
0: eleven eleven on the clock. I don't want to say every day, but a high ninety percent every day I've seen eleven eleven on the clock. So that's how eleven eleven came forward for me. It's how the hummingbirds on my logo. So yeah, that's how it is for me. Wow.
1: Yeah. Powerful stuff for sure. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster. So, Pat, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was a counselor and what you do today, which is a counselor of many facets and a business development manager. Uh, So, looking back on your career, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently?
0: If I could do it all over again, what would I do differently? It's just been such a journey. It's been, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that everything that's happened um, all the way up into today is has all character built the man that I am today. Um, I don't know if I would change any of it because I wouldn't be who who I am today. You know, I love I love who I, who I am today. I love what I do today. Um, everything that's happened in my life, good, bad, or indifferent, has become an asset in order for me to help somebody. You know, a lot of people say, well, wouldn't you rather, you know, not have done drugs and became addicted? and lived on the streets for 10 years and there's a lot of things that a lot that I did to a lot of people that cause a lot of hurt and a lot of you know pain especially to my mom and you know I wish I didn't do any of those things for sure but career-wise there's yeah. nothing I would change because I wouldn't be able to be as effective as I am with my clientele that I work with you know what you what know, I have I you know I would have been a counselor for kids and different facets, but I, I don't even know what that would look like from where I stand today the work that I do.
1: Yeah, that really speaks volume that volume based on all the stuff you went through and the addiction and the recovery and everything you went through, you want to change it because you see how effective you are in other people's yeah. lives today and you might not be as effective if you hadn't gone through your own time with addiction. Is that that's is that true? absolutely true. Wow, that's really amazing. Now, is your organization related to any particular uh, faith, or is it, it not? I'm just it's curious. not.
0: No, I'm not, we're not. Um, I'm not affiliated with any faith. I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that—well, um, I don't know if I'm a believer. I, I just think that we're all, we're all trying to get you know do the same thing. I think we're all trying to be a love and service. Um, I think that that's what the idea of God would want us to do, is to be kind and loving and compassionate and understanding with one another. We're not— affiliated with any particular one.
1: Yeah, I was just curious because of the YMCA background, yeah. so yeah, wow. Now, let's talk to the student who would like to do what you do. Now, define that as you will. I don't know if it would be as a recovery expert, as a counselor. Uh, what advice would you give them?
0: My, my advice is that that education is huge. Um, education is a huge component in, in counseling and therapy Social work, but what I see a lot is people that are freshly coming out of school really lean into the education and forget that they have a human being sitting in front of them. And, and most human beings just want to be heard. Uh, most most people that are struggling with mental health um, or addiction, um, you know, mental health being depression, or just want to be heard, want someone to listen to them, want someone to be present. Um, I think that that having understanding and com- compassion is the most important thing and, and what we as counselors do in the field for our clients. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Then that makes a lot of sense. Well, are there any current projects that you're working on that you would like to share with our listeners?
0: Yeah, sure. I I, I sit on a board of directors for a nonprofit, um, Harmonium. We take, um, what we do is we take Clean and sober tents into music festivals um, across the United States. Um, we provide a clean and sober, safe environment, in the gen- general population or general admission when they when the, at music festivals. So we have three recovery-based meetings a day each day during the festival, and we provide a safe place for people to hang out when they need it. We're in festivals like Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza, Outside Lands in San Francisco. Austin City Limit, um, Insomniac, which does all the big electric electronic music festivals across the United States. We're in all their, a lot of their festivals, mostly on the West Coast. So it's a project that we're working on. We're in the process of expanding this year to get into more festivals, maybe internationally. You know, we're always asking, seeking out volunteers. Harmoniuminc.org is our website. If people are ever interested in that stuff, but it's a project that I'm working on that I have a lot of love and compassion for.
1: Okay, cool. Now you just led me to my next question. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the companies you're involved with?
0: That's awesome. I appreciate that question. So 1111 Coaching is um, com. That's my personal private coaching intervention company. SoberLivingOregon.com um, is for sober living, Oregon. You can either reach out to uh, through there. You know, I do have uh, uh, my personal phone number is nine four nine six three seven five four nine nine. I'm always willing to uh, talk to families and or clients who need need help in any way, shape, or form. I'm always willing to um, do interviews with students who are interested in looking into getting into this field. I'm just, I am just really have a, a belief that love and service, and to be able to help in any way I can, um, I'm always able to do that. And if I'm not able to, I'm always guiding people in the right direction to help them.
1: Yeah, that's a great mantra to live by, for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Pat. I really appreciate you taking us on your amazing career
0: journey. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. This is Learn From Others